0: great Wednesday night united we are excited about what God is saying to us and ministering to us Uh, we uh, are just blessed uh, to be a part of what God's doing in this last uh, day of the church and we believe God that he's going to continue to minister through us and uh, produce within us those things that he desires to see in our lives and so God is so good to us Uh, A couple of things before we get started. First of all, is that uh, on Saturday uh, at 11 a.m., of course, we will be having the memorial service for Brother Daryl's father, uh, who passed away uh, this past week, and so we will be having the memorial service for him. And uh, also, uh, they have requested that uh, if anyone would like to join them for food afterwards, Uh, We will be having food in the back sanctuary, and so you are welcome to join us again. It begins at 11 a.m., and we'll be celebrating the life of Brother Darrell's father, uh, who went on to be with the Lord this past week. So uh, please, uh, if you're available, come as a family, and let's celebrate uh, his legacy and love on the Penningtons. Amen. And then secondly is uh, we have a couple new products in the bookstore, or at least we will have them Sunday. Uh, They're not there yet. Some of you have already ordered this book, and I'll be bringing it with me uh, when I uh, head that way on Sunday. Season Signs and Spiritual Things uh, by my pastor, Pastor Caldwell. A very balanced approach to the season and the time that we're living in uh, here in the world. And uh, I believe it will bring great clarity and great victory and great stability. And so this is eleven dollars and ninety nine cents uh, in the the bookstore. And then secondly, is Sister uh Sister Jeanie uh, Caldwell's book, My Supernatural Encounters with God. And uh, it will be back there uh, as well. And it will be a blessing to you also. I think this one is five ninety nine, and uh, it will be a blessing. You can certainly get a hold of them in the name of Jesus. And so we're grateful for what God's doing. Let's go to Ephesians 4, and we're going to continue tonight with this subject of give no place. And the thing that I've learned over the years in pastoring is this, is once God gets you on a road of revelation, you have to stay on that road of revelation and walk it out, all right? All right. And what will begin to happen is you'll begin to see down the road in the spirit realm and see into the things that God's trying to say. And God will add components to it as you minister. And so over the years, especially my dear wife, who uh, coincidentally we have been married 27 years today, uh, September 30th, and so we're, uh, we're celebrating. But uh, God's good to us. But she has over the years... Uh, referred to me as the sermonator and and it's of course it's it's more than just a pet name uh, She says that because God will put me on a road of revelation and i 'll just stay on it and stay on it and stay on it and stay on it and then maybe we 'll come off of it for a bit, <clears throat> but then we 'll get back on it well, that road of revelation gets deeper and it gets it gets it gets even more revelatory. As you walk it out and what God begins to reveal to us hold the answers to what we're looking for and so in this series that we've been on give no place what he's doing is revealing uh, uh, some things to us the road that we're on right now is revealing to us two things that how the enemy works and secondly, that we don't have to put up with it. It's, it's interesting to understand. We've all heard the story about, you know, the, the young man, the young boy, the young girl that'll come home. Now, this is how it was in my day. It may not be this way anymore. But, you know, if I came home from school and said, you know, hey, such and such is picking on me, this bully's picking on me or whatever, you know, the response I got from my dad was, you know, we'll hit him in the nose. That's that's the response I got. Uh, uh, or something similar, right? Well, I know it may not be that way today, but here's what I'm trying to say in using that as a reference, is the mindset was you don't have to put up with that. Nobody has the right to do that to you. Well, the enemy, we are understanding there are things he doesn't have the right to do, and we don't have to put up with it. And... Years ago, I heard my pastor say something, and he said, Most Christians are ignorant of spiritual things. Most Christians are ignorant of spiritual things. And I have found that in a lot of cases to be true, that many believers are ignorant of spiritual things or without understanding. And for many, the greatest area uh, of ignorance is where their authority is concerned what they have a right to. So here in Ephesians 4, verse 25, Paul says, Wherefore, putting away lying, let every man speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, neither let the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So he's writing to believers, and notice the things that he tells them. He says, number one, don't lie to each other. We'll get into that more at the end of the message tonight. Number two, Don't be sinfully angry. Don't allow the sun to go down on your wrath. And he states why this is important. Because if you do, you give place to the devil. And we talked last week about how he's a fallen one. Right? He likes to promote himself and to make much of himself. But in reality, he has to be given place. And he has to have a door opened for him. So important we, we talked about this even more in depth uh, uh, this past Sunday that uh, the 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 whole the enemy's whole game is deception he 's got to deceive you into doing something and so uh, the Woos Bible says, stop giving an occasion for acting or opportunity to the devil so this is so important because Paul tells us two things. There's a devil, but he says, I don't have to give him place. Amen. And the devil's entrance into a believer's life is allowed mainly through the negligence of the believer. Mainly through the negligence of the believer. And and here's why this is important. If there's an uncommitted, unrenewed area of the mind of that believer, the enemy then can slip in and start waging warfare against the mind and the flesh of that person. Never forget this, that you are a three-part being. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a body. All right? This body has nerve endings and sensory mechanisms in it that, of course, it experiences pain and, and it experiences fatigue and things of that nature. But even with that, this body, by and large, is just a carrying case. If the spirit's taken out of it, the body's dead, all right? Uh, the mind, the will, the emotions leave the body when the body dies. It's so important that you understand this. Because you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. Well, the enemy has to wage warfare against your mind and against your flesh. Because there's nothing he can do with your spirit. Because that's a sealed system. But notice, if there's an area that's uncommitted or unrenewed in that believer's mind then the enemy can slip in and begin to wage warfare. Now, in Colossians chapter 2, and we'll read a familiar verse here, verse 15, speaking of Jesus in His victory over the enemy, it says, having sp- and having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it in his cross the Phillips translation says and then having drawn the sting of all the powers and authorities ranged against us notice this he exposed them and how did he expose them shattered empty and defeated in his own triumphant victory he exposed them as being shattered, empty, and defeated in his victory. So, scripture says then that when Jesus defeated the enemy, the principalities and the powers, that they were shattered, empty, and defeated. Shattered, empty, and defeated. So, we see here that Jesus stripped these demonic powers of the authority. They once possessed his victory was so thorough that he exposed them and made a show of them openly. All right. He exposed them for what they were shattered, empty and defeated. Now, here's the thing. We see this in the scripture and it's in the scripture so that we can take it and apply it in our life. But because even because just because it's in the scripture, has not stopped something. It's not stopped the devil from trying to sound fearful. All right? Trying to sound menacing. Amen. I remember one time I was uh, growing up, I was in school, I was in eighth grade, and there was a guy that uh, I went to uh, seventh and eighth grade with named Cody Lacey. And Cody Lacey lived in Texline, the little town that, that I went to school in, and he lived with his grandma and grandpa. And uh, uh, Cody was uh, uh, a lot of talk. And one day, everybody was sitting around talking about how fast they were. You know, the fastest kids in the class. And so, uh, uh, Cody always used to talk about how fast he was. And one day, uh, they, they ran a race uh, during our, uh, uh, I think it was football practice or maybe basketball. I forget. But anyway, he ran a race. And, well, he got beat. And so then the next day he said, well, you know, I'm the second fastest kid in the class. And then they ran another race and he got beat by another guy. And he said, well, now I'm the third fastest. All right. Well, you understand? My point is he wanted to sound menacing. He wanted to sound it. He couldn't just say I've been beat. He had to say, well, I'm not the fastest anymore. Now I'm the third fastest, but I can still beat you. Right. Well, that's how the enemy is. He's not going to come out and tell you, I know I've been defeated, I know I'm shattered, I know I'm broken, I know I'm empty. He's not going to do that. He's going to sound menacing and fearful because he is defeated and shattered and empty and broken. That's what he is. Amen. And that's what makes it double, uh, doubly important that you understand where you stand and where he stands because to go down in defeat to him in my life is to go down in defeat to a shattered, empty, broken, defeated foe. See, this is important because what the enemy does is, and he's used religion to do it, he's promoted himself as a lion, as a flood, as a force to be reckoned with, as on the same plane of God. God's archenemy. And they are the two main powers in the universe. Not true. Not true. Not true. Of course we know the Father God. Is the all powerful being in the universe. No one matches his power. His ability. His wisdom. But the scripture says that he has placed that within his church and within the members of the body of Christ and we operate in a measure of that God kind of wisdom and God kind of power and we operate in so much authority that Jesus said whatever we bind will be bound and whatever we loose will be loose and that we as believers have been given the keys to the kingdom on the earth. Amen. And there's nothing the enemy can do about it. You are a part of a force called the church that Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You are a part of an undefeatable, unchangeable, unstoppable, mighty moving force called the church. We're the blood washed we're the church. We're the redeemed. Glory be to God. <laughs> so he tries to sound fearful and menacing. He's constantly hassling our thoughts. Constantly. In, in whatever area. There are people he's constantly telling them, well, you're going to fail. You're not going to make it. Well, I mean, you're stepping out and you're trying to do that, but after all, nothing ever works for you. You're going to fail. You're going to, you're going to have a problem. You're going to this. You're going to that. Amen. A constant onslaught against our minds. You, you've you got to recognize where is the thought coming from? Does it line up with the Word of God? I read something interesting uh, reading reading through the Scripture, and I've read this several times. And it always comes back to me how many times this was said over and over and over again. When you read through the book of Exodus, Moses made this statement to God. God said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And I've marked in my Bible at least three different times that Moses said, well, I'm slow of speech. He's not going to listen to me. And I wrote under each one of those verses, Moses kept saying that. Now, we know that God eventually delivered the people. But here's something that I wonder. How much easier might it have been on Moses if he would have just said, okay, I'll go, and I believe he's going to listen to me? The problem with constantly allowing these hassling thoughts is that eventually I'm going to start saying what I'm hearing. You understand? Eventually, I'm going to start saying what I'm thinking or what's trying to come into my mind. Because if I and, and and understand what I mean by this, the enemy will fight your mind and you're casting down imaginations. But if I just allow that to keep going and allow that loop to keep playing, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're going to fail. Who do you think you are? You're not going to make it. This isn't going to work. How can you ever be debt free? You owe so much and you've got this and you've got that. Eventually, if I'm not cautious, that will break me down. And someday, some week, some month, that's going to come out of my mouth. Because the enemy is a mastermind manipulator and he's very adept at applying pressure on your mind and that's why you've got to stay full of the word you've got to stay full of the Holy Spirit you've got to stay full of the wisdom of God so then when that pressure comes on you think about this for a moment this is so important because you'll hear people uh, and it's not even necessarily unbelievers it's, it can be believers that when the pressure is on them boom something comes out of their mouth and you think where in the world did that come from? I've, I've talked to people before, and maybe financial pressure's on them. Oh, pastor, we're just going under. We just, we're not making it. I don't understand. We're just, everything's falling apart. Why would you ever say that? Now think about this for a moment. Where did that come from? And people say, well, it came from their heart. That's what they really believe, Right. But what exposed what they really believed? The pressure. The pressure. Where is the pressure? In their mind. Who applied the pressure? The devil. Why did he apply the pressure? He needs their help to get into their life. And the moment they said, we're not going to make it, we're going under, nothing's working, we're failing, that opened the door and he was able to get in. See, spiritual warfare is not looking for a, 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 a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork or a demon behind every tree. Spiritual warfare, by and large, according to Scripture, is waged on your mind. It's a spiritual entity that's placing pressure on your mind to try to get you to move away from the Word of God. It's, it's not this theatrical thing that, that Hollywood and some people portray it to be. It is a very, uh, Lord help me say this right, it's a very mundane concept. He consistently puts pressure on your mind to try to get you to move away from what the Word of God says. To get you to open your mouth, to get you to take an action, to get you involved in something that will allow him a foothold, a loophole, something where he can get into your life. That's why Paul said don't lie and don't be angry with each other because that gives a place of reference An opportunity for acting to the devil. It's so important. It's so important that you stay out of strife. It's so important that you stay out of unforgiveness. It's so important that you stay out of criticism. I've had people say, you know, uh, uh, are you watching the political things? No, I cannot afford to open myself up to be critical. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not telling you not to. I'm saying I can't do it because I can't afford to be critical. Because there's so much on the line. Pastor Michelle looked at me the other day, and she said, Philip, I am so determined to even intensify my love walk because there's so much on the line for what God wants us to do. Well, the enemy knows there's so much on the line. He knows what's at stake. He knows what God wants to do for you, and the only way that he can stop it is to bombard your mind and get you thinking wrong so that he can get you acting wrong, and then when you start acting wrong... He's got an entryway. Glory be to God. This is an attempt to beat us down into defeat. Understand, to wear us down, to wear us out. All right? The scripture in the book of Revelation, where it talks about the enemy with the saints, it says the enemy came to wear them out. That, That used to be something that some relatives that we had would say. They would always talk about that. Whew, from from Kentucky. And and we would go stay in the summer. And, uh, 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 you know, uh, they'd have the family over, and all of us kids would be running around and running through the house and running everywhere. And and there were certain parts of the family, they'd go, oh, these young'uns are just wearing me out. Wearing me out. And you know they said that all the time. I'm wore out. Wearing me out. Wore out. Amen. I propose to you that you as a believer are not wore out. You are not wearing out. The Bible says you're growing stronger every day. Now see, but the enemy's trying to wear you out, wear you down. All right, beat us down. How? Through thoughts. And then what? Swallow us up in self-pity. Oh, nobody cares. Look what I'm going through. Nobody cares about what I'm going through. It's so subtle, and people don't recognize that. Well, I'm no good at that, so, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to try, because after all, I'm no good at it, and, and you know, nobody wants to help me, or, or whatever the case may be. That's a person that's being swallowed up in self-pity. Being gulped down by the devil. That's why at all costs you guard against that. You expect nothing and you're thankful for everything. Nobody owes me anything. And I'm thankful for everything I have. What does that do? That keeps you away from self-pity. I've heard preachers before. Well, you know, nobody thinks I'm anointed. Nobody cares about my office. You know, they don't think I have revelation. Listen, number one, the ministry is for the people, not for you. And you don't get your affirmation from people. You get your affirmation from God. And every one of God's ministers is anointed. Every one of God's ministers has revelation. Every one of God's ministers has something to say to God's people. Because God has anointed you and called you and placed you where you're at. Don't let the enemy come in with self-pity. That'll stop your church. That'll stop your ministry. That'll stop your department. That'll That'll stop your marriage. That'll stop your family. I've watched it. I've watched the enemy battle in married couples and fight their mind. He don't care about me. She don't care about me. She has more respect for this man than she does for me. And he is nicer to the other women than he is to me. And it wasn't really that big of a deal. But you know that couple's not married today. Because they gave the enemy a foothold. And again, this is something that can sound elementary, but the deeper road of revelation is this. This is how he's working. This, the, the danger with this is it is very elementary and very mundane. There are no fireworks with a mental fight. There's no fireworks with putting pressure on your mind. People just think those are just thoughts. We're going to get more into it as we go into this series. But folks, listen. That thought, let, Lord help me say this right. It was not generated in your mind. Some being, some entity said it. You don't hear spiritual words with natural ears. You hear them inside. And so when that thought comes, people say that thought, when that thought comes, nobody cares about you, nobody loves you, you're not whatever, you're going to fail, you're not going to make it. That wasn't just a thought. There was a being that said that. A demon spirit said that. To make it real easy, the devil said that. And you picked it up in your mind because he spoke it to you. Now, I have an option there to stand against that, cast it down, reject it, and shut the door or to receive it and give him a foothold. There are no unimportant thoughts. There are no thoughts that mean nothing. They all mean something. In uh, 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. We've been bouncing back and forth with this scripture the whole series, but it's so important because uh, notice what Peter says to be sober. The word there, sober, carries this concept of being sober-minded. Sober-minded. All right? I taught on this in uh, refusing the care. Why is this so important? Because there are people that literally get drunk with care. They get drunk with worry. And I've heard people say, I, I got so much on my mind, I'm so worried, I can't even think right. That sounds like a drunk person to me. They can't think right. Be sober-minded. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, and he tells us who he is, the devil, walketh about or roameth about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, This word seek is so important because it implies something. It implies that not everybody will fall for his tactics. He's seeking for someone to devour. Seeking for somebody to devour. Seeking, notice what it says, seeking whom he may. I fall into the may not. Devour category. You fall into the may not devour category. It's known far and wide that people that go to faith builders churches are some of the most spirit-filled, spirit-led people in the whole world. Amen. We may not be devoured. When you hear the lion sniffing around your gate, and you hear him bellering and roaring, what do you do? Immediately, you go into stand mode, you go into resist mode, you go into defeat mode, we're going to resist you, and stand against you, and defeat you. Amen? So the word seek implies, not everybody will fall for his tactics. So he's not seeking just anyone to devour He's seeking those he may devour. I've told you this story before, and, and, and it's kind of humorous. Uh, the guy that was standing on the street corner, and as people would walk by, he'd ask their name. They'd give their name, and he'd write it down. They'd say, what are you doing? He said, I'm putting your name on my list. I can whoop you. They said, most people say, oh, okay, all right, and they'd go on. Finally, one day, this big old boy came walking by, and he said, hey, what's your name, fella? He told him his name. He wrote it down. He said, what are you doing that for? He said, because I can whoop you. I'm writing a list of all the people I can whoop. Guy didn't think much about it. He said, okay. Took about three or four steps, and then he thought about it, and he said, hey, 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 wait a minute, fella. He said, uh, I don't think you can whoop me. The guy said, hmm, well, let me get your name off my list. Right? That that, that guy was looking for people he could devour. But he came up against one that said, no, 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 you can't devour me. Well, let me get your name off my list. So the devil's not just looking for anybody to devour. He's seeking those he may devour. He's looking for those, number one, that are weak in faith. He's looking for people that are weak in faith. Because 1 John 5, 4 says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Uh, Ephesians 6 says, the shield of faith quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. Every one of them. So faith is the victory. Faith stops every one of the fiery darts of the wicked. Amen. Faith-filled words are how we move mountains and change situations. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And so he's looking for believers that are weak in faith, that have not oiled their shield, that have not prepared their hearts to stand. If the enemy finds a believer that's weak in faith, he'll devour them. Why? Because they have no defense. They have no defense. Secondly, he's looking for people that are ignorant of the word. Ignorant of what the word says. That's why every believer has to have a working knowledge of what the Word of God says. You have to have an intimate relationship with the Word of God. Not through your pastor, not through your husband, not through your wife, not through somebody else. You have to have a personal relationship with the Word of God. Why? The enemy is seeking people that are ignorant of the Word. I'm reminded of the story when Brother Hagen had first gotten healed. And uh, he had gotten up that morning after he had gotten out of bed, and he went and had breakfast, and he said he came back in his room, and he was laying down across the bed. And uh, he said, I thought I'd just lay there for a little while, and then get up later and walk downtown. And he said he was laying there, and and he got up a little bit later and just sat down in the chair there in his room. And he said, all of a sudden, he heard these words, what is your life? It is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. And today you shall surely die. And he said, then he began to hear this. You know, well, yeah, the Lord healed you. And everybody sees it. God healed you. uh, But now it's your time to die. And he said, I just. I begin to get into this despondency. Because. The Lord had healed me. And now I hear these these words in their scripture. The Bible does say, what is your life? It's but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. And there is a scripture that says, and today, it's what Isaiah told Hezekiah, set your house in order for today you're going to die. And he said, I sat there just despondent the rest of the afternoon. Because now, I I just knew I had to die. Well, what was that? That was the enemy talking to his mind. Now, it sounds funny to say about Brother Hagin, but at that point, he's biblically ignorant. Because he said, as I sat there, all of a sudden, up out of my spirit floated these words, with long life I'll satisfy him. And he said, I had to ask, where's that at? And he said, I heard Psalm 91. And he said, I went over there and found it. With long life, I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. And then then the the Holy Spirit began to lead him also. Let, Let him over into the New Testament. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right that your days, that it may be well with you, and that your days may be long upon the earth. And he took him to other scriptures. And he said, finally, I got it. And he said, that's when I jumped up and and began to shout at the devil, I'm not going to die today, I'm not going to die tomorrow, I'm not going to die in the next five years, next 15 years, next 25 years, next 30 years, 40 years, right? The enemy almost had him because he was ignorant Of the word. Jesus when the enemy tempted him in the wilderness. What overcame the enemy was not the fact that he was Jesus. But the fact that he had a working knowledge of the word. Because he could answer with the word. See there again. That's why this whole subject can seem elementary. Because we're saying the enemy attacks you with thoughts. And you answer thoughts with your words that are full of the word. Hallelujah. Thirdly, he comes after people that are isolated to themselves. That's why you need a church family. You know, there's a lot of truth in the saying that says there's strength in numbers. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, it says to uh, uh, not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. All right. And even the more as you see the day approaching. And then it talks about coming together to be exhorted and to be edified, to be built up, to be encouraged. When you come to church, it's not just to hear the word. That's the most important thing. But it's that you're encouraged, you're edified, you're built up by the believers In that body. Amen. I heard heard a man one time. uh, In the Little Rock Church. Talking about a brother that started coming to the church. And and he spoke to me. And he said. This is one of the brothers that. uh, And they were talking about another church. That when they were both going there together. That he really spoke to him. And strengthened him. And encouraged him. When they saw each other where? At church. Or home group. Or wherever it was. The enemy's looking for people that are isolated to themselves. Because they have no protection. And he will work to weed them away from the body. He'll work to move them away from what they're involved in. He'll work to move them out of FBIMA. He'll work to move them out of of the group that they're a part of. Why? To isolate them. Because he knows then he can devour them. That, that's, that's some of the problem with what I've started calling social media church. Just watching on social media and watching online. Those things are available and, and they're, they're uh, 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 beneficial in their place. But that, your living room was never meant to be your church. With just you and the computer, or you and your phone, or you and your iPad. We thank God for it, for what it's good for. But it can help isolate believers. Amen. And when a believer gets isolated, then they're open, they give the devil a loophole to come into their life. You constantly need somebody speaking into your life. You need to be in the presence of believers. You need to be in the presence of the anointing that's on the pastor of that body so that that anointing can move in your life. And Paul said that when you get in the presence of that anointing that there can be a spiritual gift that's imparted into you. And it's not just a spiritual gift like the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, things of that nature. It is a spiritual gift, something out of the spirit that you need at that moment. And it can only come in the presence. Do you see that? So important. So important. Hallelujah. I watched the families that stay together and, and come to church on a regular basis. And bring their kids to church. You know, it's not that they don't face problems. But when they do, they've always got the answer. Amen. When, when they go through a trying time in their family. They got family from church that comes around them and helps them. It's going to be okay. Okay. A lot of times, a lot of times, there are things that people in the body are ministering. They're ministering to other parts of the body. And I may find out about it third or fourth down the row. But the body has already been ministering to each other. You, you can't get that sitting at home. Watching on TV. You can't, you just can't do it. Amen. Do you understand? And, pe- and people will say, well, but you know, that's the age we live in. I, I understand that. I understand what they're saying. I don't agree with it, but I understand. The enemy's looking for people that are isolated. Then next, he's looking for people that are not mature enough to stand in the face of those constant allegations. If you want to empower a child's life, you start when they're very small telling them how great they are, how amazing they are, how they can do all things through Christ. Right? You're constantly affirming them, constantly building them up. Conversely, if you want to destroy a child's life, you begin when they're very long with allegations of stupidity. Boy, you can't do this. You're never going to make it. Now, for those of us in the world, we can never imagine doing that. But why would you you do that? If that's that's the bent you want them to have, you got to start young. The enemy wants to start on people that are not mature enough to stand up against what he's saying. And according to Scripture, the way that you mature in Ephesians chapter 4, the way that you mature is to come to the local church and set under the fivefold ministry, and be with your brethren and your sisters that are growing in the Lord and maturing as well, so that they can help you help you stand against what the enemy's trying to do. Oh, glory! Because those are the individuals the enemy's seeking after, and make no mistake, his desire, his objective, is to devour them. The word devour, it's, it's an it's a interesting word because it comes from a Greek word that literally means to swallow up completely. And not just to swallow up, but it, 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 it means, so when we talk about devour, it's not just destroy. The word literally means this, to devour completely and even slurp up the blood so there's no evidence. Hmm. That's that's what he desires to do. And how does he start that? In the mind. In the mind. That's why you cast down every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And you bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Amen. In uh, 2 Corinthians 11... and verse 14 he talks here about the enemy and he says no marvel for satan himself is transformed into an angel of light now we talked about this some in our last session but this is another picture of satan as a mastermind manipulator what's he do he he disguises himself As something he isn't. He's not an angel of light. We know from Wednesday night. He's a what? A fallen one. Right? So this attack comes against a person's mind. And it's an example. Of his ability to twist people's thinking. If he gets a foothold in there. He'll begin to twist their thinking. And that's why the Bible says in the last days that we're in that there will be people that call good evil and evil good. Why? Because their thinking has been twisted. Their thinking has been twisted. The name Satan, it says Satan is transformed as an angel of light. It's taken from the Hebrew word shatana, S-H-A-T-A-N-A, shatana. And it means to hate and accuse. To hate and accuse. And it carries this idea of slander and false accusation. That's his nature. To slander and falsely accuse you. He can't accuse you of truth in truth because he's a liar. So he will slander you in your mind falsely accuse you in your mind in an attempt to what? Twist your thinking. Twist your thinking. That's so, that's so powerful. I remember one time, there was a gentleman that, uh, 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 well, he was a, uh, a friend of mine uh, in the church that uh, Pastor Michelle and I attended before we got married. And uh, he was a good guy and, and called and anointed, powerfully anointed by God. Could hear from God. And uh, long story short, he started thinking wrong. And he just didn't start thinking wrong. He started listening to thoughts. Now, he didn't lose his mind and, and, and kill himself and these different things. But here's what happened. His thinking got so twisted that the enemy convinced him that your anointings and your callings and your giftings are not being used here where you're at. And you need to go somewhere else because you could have such a powerful ministry. And I remember the morning that he came by our house, our home. I was living with my parents. I'd moved there. And uh, uh, of course... I was not involved in the, the session, the counseling session, because uh, I wasn't his pastor, but I was in my room uh, getting ready for work, and uh, I could hear them talking and just heard my dad, who was his pastor, pleading with him and calling his name and saying, look, it's not that you're not anointed, it's not that you're not called, you're just not ready to go into this, and I don't want to get you see you get hurt, and I don't want to see... And he just wouldn't have it. No, no, this is what I need to do and you're just trying to hold me back. Well, where did he get the idea that he was being held back? Not from God. The enemy. The devil. Satan. The slanderer. The false accuser. Well, he went ahead and and persisted and did what he did and left the ministry. And, uh, you know, it wasn't long. He was... uh, he was back singing in the bars there in Nashville and and doing what what he had did previously, and I remember the last time I talked to him and uh, and I was speaking with him and, and I was trying to convince him to come back to church, and I called his name and I said, "Man, I miss you, you need to come you need to come back to church We'd we'd love to see you." No, 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 uh, they, they don't want me to use my giftings there, and they're holding me back and and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that totally different state of mind than what had been there previously. When I first went to that church, we had a a Thanksgiving outreach. And it was primarily to the homeless and to the people there uh, in the inner city. And uh, I remember sitting around the table with him and him talking about how God had changed his life in that church and talking about how God had brought him from the place he was at and opened up his eyes and how much he could see. And it was, I've seen that over the years. If I open my mind to a wrong thought, that false accuser, he'll try to twist my thinking. Do do you see that? I've had to guard against that over the years. I've I've had to guard against. The enemy will try to get you offended at the people closest to you, the people that are speaking into your life, the people that have the ability to help you the most. He'll try to get get you offended at them why? Because then that gives him a foothold to move you away from where you need to be. And I've had to guard against that over the years. Amen. I remember there was a particular time in, uh, in my life, and, and you remember I've been serving the Lord a long time. And I've been in the ministry full time a long time. And uh, one time uh, I was with uh, my pastor, and uh I said something, and, and he made a comment, and uh, it wasn't a bad comment, and I don't even really remember what it was. I'm just, I'm just saying this was the result of it, uh, and, and he's a very loving man, and he would never be hard or or, or, or divisive at all, and, uh, but I remember when I got home, the thought that came to me, well, he don't think much of your ministry. And he don't think much of your anointing. The thought that came was not even relevant to what had been said. Right? But it was an attempt to move me away from my pastor. To drive a wedge between he and I. Well, I cast that down. I said, no, that's not not how it is in the name of Jesus. He loves me. He cares about me. Right Now why is that so important? Because it was a false accusation and he was trying to twist my thinking to move me away. Amen. We read 1 Peter 5, 8 and it says to be sober, sober sober-minded and vigilant because your adversary, the devil. Now this is important. Because the New Testament refers to Satan as the devil more than 40 times. When you read through the New Testament, you will see him referred to as the devil more than 40 times. And I've talked about this word before. But the word devil in the Greek, it's a a compound word. And it comes from two Greek words, dia and balos. B-O-L-O-S. Dia, D-I-A, and balos. It comes from those two words. It's a compound word. The word dia means through. T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Through. And it carries the idea of penetration. Right? Something that is penetrated. So dia meaning through and penetration. And then balos, which means to throw as a rock or a ball or anything that you would throw. When you put those two words together, they depict this act of repeatedly throwing a ball or a rock or some object until it penetrates the barrier and breaks through to the other side. You just repetitively do that until it breaks through. So this name, devil, Diabalo gives me his mode of operation. He strikes again and, again and again and again and again and again and again, beating against the walls of people's minds over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again till he finally breaks through. Over and over and over and over again. And what's he do? He penetrates their thought processes. Hallelujah. Peter said that we should gird up the loins of our mind. Pastor Michelle was preaching one time, and she said, look there, Peter said, put a girdle on your mind. (laughs) Don't want your mind just out there flopping around. Put a girdle on it amen but it's important to gird up the loins of my mind don't just think anything don't just let any thought there I've talked to people and they say oh you know for the last three days this thought's been in my mind and you think that's normal that's not normal it's pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pressure and pressure and consistently putting pressure again and again and again and again till he breaks through. Amen. See? And and, and the reason why I say that this can sound elementary is because the process seems so unspectacular. Uh, Just attacking your mind. Well, think about this. If it was something spectacularly satanic, you'd just stand against it immediately. But when it's just a thought? See, that's that. I talked to you earlier about that's that satanic wisdom. That's that subtlety. The Bible lets us know from Genesis chapter 3 on that one of his greatest weapons is his subtlety. Connivingness, sneakiness. Nothing more sneaky than just a thought. I mean, if he showed up, smoke billowing, flames flowing, well, you, you, you immediately stand against that. But a thought, Yes, asked, so-and-so don't like you. Or, you're not going to make it. Or, nobody cares about you, why even bother living? I've watched that in people's lives. I've watched people that were once strong in the things of God. Spiritual people that started thinking wrong thoughts. Started thinking wrong thoughts. And end up in a bad place because they gave him entrance. So, when something, especially something that is not godly, but something is trying to move you a certain direction, don't listen to it consistently. You got to cast it down, cast it away, cast it out because he's trying. Right? And and the Lord keeps bringing me back to this. Don't listen to those thoughts. Well, they don't care about you. They don't love you. Nobody cares about you. If you weren't in church tomorrow, nobody would care. you got to watch that. That's self-pity. That's deadly. It's devilish. It's demonic. Amen. At the end of the day, if nobody else cares about me, God cares about me. Cast all your care on him because he cares for me. And you got to answer the devil with that. God cared about me so much he gave Jesus. Right? And, and, and then don't let the devil run down your brothers and sisters. Oh, yes, they do love me. Remember, devil, remember when I was in the hospital? They come and sought me out. They brought me food. They came over. They, they Right? When my family was in need, they helped me. Oh, yes, they do. They love me with the love of the Lord. We'll wrap up with this in Ephesians four. We started here, but over the last few messages, I've uh, teased you with this that we're gonna we're gonna look at this a little deeper. And notice what Paul says uh, in Ephesians two and uh, verse twenty five. We started with this verse. But he says uh, to the believer, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, I said 2. Verse 25, wherefore put away away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, where members one of another, be angry, sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil, let him that stole steal no more, let him work with his hands the thing that is good that he may have to give him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Notice that. So before Paul told the Ephesian church to put on the armor of God, he told them, number one, put away lying. Don't lie. Now, when you're talking to believers, that should be a given. But remember what I said in, the, in one of my opening statements that uh, the enemy, if there's an uncommitted, unrenewed area of the mind, the enemy can slip in and begin to wage warfare against them. Always and only speak truth. You are a truth speaker. You are of the truth. I taught a series one time called To Tell the Truth. And I made a statement. When somebody asks you a question or you make a statement, you don't have very many options. The only options you have are to tell the truth or say nothing. That's it. Right? And sometimes saying nothing won't work. <laughs> so I got, I'm left to tell the truth. I have to tell the truth. I remember one time uh, when I was a, a young man, well, I'm still a young man, but younger, uh, living in Florida, and I worked for Associated Grocers. And I worked at their uh, warehouse there, their hub, and uh, worked loading trucks. And we had gotten a new client with the company, and so they had bought a couple new trucks to make an impression on this new client. They're brand new trucks. And so we were out loading them one day. And uh, I got in the truck uh, to load. And there were some guys standing around. And I worked with them every day. I knew them. And they weren't born again. And uh, one of them had a, a sharpie out and was drawing something on the wall. And, and it was a very distasteful drawing. And then he put some, some vulgar, profanity-laced comment underneath it. Well, I didn't say anything. I'm not the boss. I can't say anything. I'm, I'm just an employee. But they went ahead and took that shipment to this new client. And when we come back the first part of the next week, and I'll never forget the man, his name was Leonard Faison. Leonard Faison. And he was a, a believer, born-again man. And uh, what had happened was the new client had seen that artwork on the truck. And it had bothered them. And so they had called corporate there and said, look, this, you know, this is very distasteful. Well, there weren't very many hands in that group. Just five of us. And so one by one, he started calling people in. And I was towards the end of the group. And uh, he said, uh, uh, Philip, do you know anything about this? I said, yes, I do. He said, do you know who did this? I said, yes, I do. Then he asked me, who is it? Are you with me? I said, it was so and so. Now, I've had believers intimate to me that that was snitching. No, that was telling the truth. It's not snitching to tell the truth. That's a worldly idea. Or you don't snitch people out. No, you always tell the truth. Right, because to do anything else gives place to the devil. Now we're not going to go through all these tonight, but we're, we're going to touch on this one for this period of time that we're together. And I remember he had a a brother who was a bodybuilder, weightlifter. And at that time, I I uh, my goodness, I was only in my uh, I would have been about nineteen, I guess, maybe twenty. I weighed about one thirty-five, soaking wet and uh, I was on the dock one day uh, I believe I was going back from lunch and his brother accosted me <laughs> on the dock and 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 he got in front of me and, and he said uh uh and here's what he began to say he said uh, you know you know my brother didn't do that because when he goes in there he only has his coat on he doesn't have a pen and you know he didn't do that he's threatening me well you know I mean I don't want to try to paint myself as just this, you know, ambassador for always having done things right. But I knew in that moment, no, you're lying. And I looked at him and I said, and I pointed my finger at him and I said, yes, he did do it. I saw him do it. And I'm not going to change what I said. He did it. I remember what happened. The fact that I was unwilling. To shade the truth. So disarmed him. He just had to walk off. Because you cannot stop a man. Who knows he's right. And will just keep coming. You just can't. Amen. Amen. Now, that did a couple things. It ostracized me to people that didn't have a problem with lying. But it showed people in management and the higher ups we've got a guy here that will keep his integrity and won't lie. Don't lie to anybody. It's devilish. Don't shade the truth. Don't embellish the truth. Don't exaggerate. Why? It's a lie. And what does it do? It gives place to the devil. It gives place to the devil. I've used this illustration over the years. Sometimes you'll hear preachers, and they'll, they'll have a, you know, uh, uh, a meeting. And they'll say, hey, how was the meeting the other night? "Whoo, boy, we's packed out. Now, listen what packed out means. Packed out means every seat in the place was full. We were packed. Was every seat full? Well, I mean, every seat wasn't full, but we were still packed out. Then you weren't packed out. Oh, but that's just a definition of terms. It don't mean anything. It does mean something because it wasn't truthful. Wasn't truthful. You can say we were full. You can say we had a good turnout. We were almost full. Almost every seat was full. Why is that important? Because if you exaggerate the truth, it becomes old hat. It becomes cliché. And it opens the door to the devil. Amen. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Say it right. If you you miss it, if you exaggerate something, stop right there and say, "No, no, 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 forgive me. That was wrong. It wasn't that way. It was this way. I can't tell you the times I've done that. I've had to do it in church. Because I would get home and the Lord would say, now look, you you missed it here. You misrepresented something here. It Wasn't intentional. But yet it was still said. And I have shown up back up the next week and said, folks, in this area, I missed it. Listen, it's so important. The Lord told Pastor Caldwell, he said, if you always do things the way I tell you to do them, the devil will never be able to get in your church. If we do things the way the word always tells us to do it, the devil can never get in our life. And he said, put lying away from you. Don't lie. Why? Because that's entering into the works of the devil. The devil is not only a liar, he is the preeminent liar. Glory to God. And notice what it says. I'll finish with this. Put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Speak the truth. No, there's nobody under the sound of my voice that could raise your hand and say, you've never lied. Everybody has lied. But hear me what I'm saying. As a believer, it's supposed to be a foreign concept. It's not on the table as an option. Not on the table as an option. Can't do it. Just can't do it. And the preeminent reason is it opens up the door for the devil. When we choose to guard our minds, we will always live in victory. Always. Always. We will never, ever not live in victory. Amen. And I've even heard people say things like this, well, I can't tell the truth. The truth would be to this or the truth would be to that. No, the Bible says the truth makes free. The truth makes free. I heard Keith Moore say this one time. He said lies blind and lies bind. Amen? But the truth will let you see and the truth will make you free. So every time there's a exaggeration or an embellishment of the truth or a lie. Then the enemy can start darkening the mind. But glory to God. When we make a decision that we're not going to be defeated. We're not going to fall for it. We're going to guard our heart and our mind. We live in victory every day. Amen. Amen. I believe God. We'll stand on your feet every day.